Good to see everybody here this morning. Some of you were here earlier than you've ever been for church before. Congratulations. If you did not get the memo by now, service starts at 10.30 now. And sorry, we forgot to mention that last week there was some other hullabaloo happening. We got a little distracted by that. But uh, with everything that's going on, we have pushed service time back to 10.30. So thank you for being here. And uh, for those of you joining us online, probably from somewhere warm, and spring breaky. We hope you're having a really nice time. We got snow yesterday, and the windshields were frozen this morning. At least mine was anyways. Uh, but we are having a joyful gathering here today. It's so good worshiping with you all. Um, I'm Nick. I'm one of the pastors here, and so glad that you have chosen to join us today as we continue on in our Follow Me series, journeying towards Good Friday and Easter. Now, as I mentioned, last Sunday was a special day. We gathered together. Many of us were here for one combined service. All together, we got to celebrate what God has done in this church and then got to break ground outside on this new building addition. And what a difference a week makes. For those of you who were here last Sunday, and I don't know if you've looked out here during the course of this week or at all today. If you haven't, check it out after service. Take a peek. They've been busy this week. There's trees ripped up. There's holes dug, fences put up. In just one week, this building project, like, it's going to be done next week, right? I wish. Uh, and so it's, it's really cool to see that all these years of, of planning and preparing and praying, and now here we are, like it's actually happening. This, this project has really begun. But if you're like me, you're, you're seeing about this, you're hearing about this, and you might be struggling to, to picture, like, wait, so what's happening? Maybe this is your first Sunday here, and you're like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Bear with me. Uh, but you might be struggling to think, like, what, what is this going to look like when it's all done? You know, maybe you've seen, like, some, some small little images, some, some schematics or pictures of what this is supposed to look like. But that's very different from a large, full-scale, three-dimensional building that you can walk through and see and feel and touch. What is this going to look like? What is it going to be like to experience life and people and ministry happening in this building? It's hard to envision that. It's so hard to, to picture the things that we cannot see and experience the things that we, we don't have right in front of us. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about vision. It's difficult to have vision. And when I say vision, I don't just mean that in the known, the visible, the expected sense, but rather in the invisible, in the unknown, the unexpected. What does it mean to have vision? Now, several years ago, the calendar flipped to 2020, and a big deal was made about having 2020 vision and seeing clearly into the future and all of these things, right? Well, we all know how that went. 2020 was a disaster in a lot of ways. So much for 2020 vision. That was, none of us saw that coming. How difficult is it to see with vision, to see what's coming? We are nearsighted people, and we only see what's right in front of us. We have tunnel vision. We, we don't see the full picture. We don't often see far out and make decisions based on outcomes or futures or possibilities. We only see what's right in front of us. It's so hard to see beyond, to see beyond what we can see. And so this morning as we continue on in our series, Follow Me, we've been journeying through the Gospel of Matthew looking at various points where Jesus calls people to follow him. And Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 19, if you want to turn there in your Bibles or devices, it'll be up on the screen as well. Uh, but one more instance of Jesus calling somebody to follow him. And this one is uh, a little different from some of the others that we've looked at. So Matthew chapter 19, uh, we're going to be starting in verse 16. 
Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Well, which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. So what happens here? Jesus and his disciples are out and about, and this young man comes up to Jesus. He says, Jesus, teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? I mean, who wouldn't want eternal life, right? What must I do? How do I get eternal life? And in classic Jesus fashion, he ignores the question and answers this man's question with a question. Why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. In other words, all goodness, all good things come from God. And then to humor the man, he answers the question, if you wish to enter life, if you wish to experience eternal life, obey the commandments. To which this man goes, well, which ones? And I'm sure you're sitting here thinking, well, duh, all of them, right? All the commandments. Those of you who have kids, you probably think if you give them commands to obey and they go, well, which ones do I have to obey? You're like, all of them, of course. What kind of silly question is that? But backing it up for just a moment, The Old Testament law had no fewer than 613 commandments. 613 commandments. So, that's a valid question. Which ones do I have to obey? Because that's a lot to remember, let alone to follow all of those. Now, in Exodus chapter 20, we see that God gives Moses, the leader of the Israelite people, what we know as the Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments were, they were the big ten. This is the main Ten Commandments to follow as you you follow me, as you follow God. Well, if you look at the Ten Commandments a little bit closer, it actually breaks down where the first four commandments deal with our relationship with God. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Do not make for yourselves any idols. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath, our relationship with God. The other six deal with our relationship with other people. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not covet. Now, what we see in Jesus' response to this man, this man asks, which commandments? And Jesus names five of those six. He throws in, love your neighbor as yourself, which in Matthew 22, later on, we see he calls the second greatest commandment. But he very intentionally leaves out, do not covet, do not desire what belongs to someone else. File that away for a minute. We'll come back to that in just a moment. So this young man asks, which commandments do I have to obey? And then he says, all these I have kept. He claims to have kept all the commandments. How could that be possible, you ask? I mean, he, he's not perfect. He's not sinless. Or this man, keeping the commandments, was about external conformity to the law. It was about putting on a show. It was about making it appear as though he was perfectly obedient and had followed all the commands. When deep down internally, he was failing to keep these commands just like anybody else. Of course, he was not perfect or sinless. But in his mind, externally, yes, all these I have kept. I've put on a show. I've been perfect. Jesus, I've been perfect. And yet, 
He has this warped view of goodness and righteousness and his own spiritual state, and he has the nerve to tell Jesus, I've perfectly kept all the commandments. But at the same time, this man also realizes that something is missing. He still is lacking something. I've done all these things. I've done the right things. I've been a good person. I've obeyed the commands. Jesus, what am I still lacking? What, what do I still need to do in order to get eternal life? And so, Jesus, as he often does, he speaks the truth in love. He responds to this man's question. He sees right through him and challenges this man with something that he still lacks. If you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he excitedly went away, and he sold all he had, and he gave to the poor, and he came back, and he followed Jesus, right? No, very much the opposite. The young man hears this, and he walks away sad because he had great wealth. To be so close to following Jesus, and yet to just walk away, and leave it all behind. Remember that thing we said about coveting? Jesus saw right through this man. He saw right through to his heart. Very clearly, this man had an idol. God was not his chief priority. His wealth had become his idol, and he was unwilling to let go of that, to lay that aside in order to follow Jesus. So what does this mean for us? Is this telling us that wealth is bad or that we shouldn't have money? Maybe. Maybe not. Not necessarily, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but imagine being one of the disciples, watching this man come up, being a part of this interaction he has with Jesus. When I read this story, I see this zealous young man who comes up, who's excited to do what is right, maybe not always with the right motives or the right way of going about it, but isn't this exactly who Jesus would want for his ministry? I mean, he, he wants to do what's right. He's got a good heart. He, he's obedient to the commands. He has an abundance of resources. Jesus, we could really use that. That could be, make a big difference in the kingdom. And yet, Jesus just lets this man go. And you think, I, I mean, this man's got some flaws that could be corrected, but isn't Jesus all about love and acceptance and grace? And I, I mean, look at this group of men he called to follow him, him and be his disciples. Like, they're not really a perfect group of guys either. Jesus, how could you be such a fool to just send this man away to just let this man go instead of embracing him? Why would Jesus do that? Well, first of all, this man walked away not because Jesus sent him away, but because he was unwilling to give what it took. This man lacked vision. He was so caught up in the things that he could see and hold and touch that he failed to see beyond what was in front of him. This is something, he, he needed a serious dose of what we call eternal perspective. Eternal perspective just simply means viewing life in light of eternity. It's like a lens or a filter through which you view life. And it impacts the things that you think and the way that you make decisions and the people around you and how you interact with those people. 
It's true vision. And no, we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what the future looks like. That's not what it's about. But it's about living in light of that, living in light of eternity. This concept of eternity is impossible for us to wrap our minds around. I mean, think about that. Eternity, it's infinite. It's forever. And so just bear with me for a moment as I attempt... This concept of eternity, if we had a line that spanned the width of this room, and that was eternity. Now, of course, if it was actually eternity, it would go and go and go forever. Just the width of this room, if that was eternity, our lives, our 70, 80, 90 years, are just a dot on that whole line of eternity. Just a dot on the line of eternity. And so eternal perspective is all about, what am I living for? Am I living for the dot, or am I living for the line? What makes the most sense? Where is my focus? Where is my vision set? What brings God the most glory? What best builds up his kingdom? That's what eternal perspective is all about. Not being focused on the dot and living for the line, living for the things of eternity. And so as we've looked at these moments throughout Matthew where Jesus calls people to follow him, and of course that's the last thing that Jesus says to this man before this man walks away sad, unwilling to follow Jesus. And how different that response was from Jesus' disciples who were called to follow him. They dropped everything and they followed him. They left their fishing boats and they followed him. They left their tax collector's booths and they followed him. They were willing to give what it took. Now in this particular story, as Jesus responds to this man and this man walks away, there's something else Jesus says right before he calls this man to follow him. He says, go Sell your possessions, give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Now, this idea of treasure in heaven, it sounds crazy. This man has everything. He's got it made. He's set. Why on earth would it make sense for him to give up all of this stuff, and then somehow that gives him treasure in heaven, and he's called to follow Jesus? So let's unpack that for a few minutes. This idea of treasure. Treasure is a very fascinating intriguing thing. I mean, who doesn't love treasures and treasure hunts? Whether it's Indiana Jones or National Treasure or Pirates of the Caribbean or any other treasure or heist movie story, we get so wrapped up and and caught in the, the joy and the wonder of discovering something, searching for something that's valuable, something unknown, that seek, that's that search for the Holy Grail or that famous shipwreck or anything else of great value, whatever it might be, there are high stakes and high rewards. How far would you go? What would you be willing to give up in order to secure that most precious and valuable of treasures? This is not the only time Jesus talks about treasure here in Matthew 19. We're going to look back at Matthew chapter 6 if you want to flip there for a moment here. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, his longest, most famous sermon spanning Matthew's chapters 5 through 7. In the middle of chapter 6, he has this moment where he talks about treasure. Starting in verse 19, this is what Jesus says. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so according to Jesus, there are two different kinds of treasure. There's the earthly treasure, and there's the heavenly treasure. What's the difference? Well, put simply, the earthly treasure 
It's, it's the things of this earth, the things that are temporary, that do not last. You can't take it with you. Maybe you've heard somebody say that before. You never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. You don't because you can't take it with you. Heavenly treasure, it's different. Heavenly treasure, it's the things that last, the things that last for eternity, the things of heaven, the things of God. You say, well, what lasts on this earth? Well, for one thing, people do. And no, not our physical bodies. They waste away just like anything else. But our souls live on. People, we experience eternity after this life. Are we investing in people? And the good things of God, the parts of his character, his attributes, those things endure. So storing up treasure in heaven, what does that look like? We let go of those temporary things of this earth. We surrender control of those to God. And we focus on the things of heaven, the things of God instead. We invest in those things of heaven. We invest in people and in their eternal fate. We, we see the potential in people. We see them as God's special creation, made in his image, in need of Jesus. We live with that eternal perspective where we're making decisions in light of eternity rather than in light of the temporary things of this earth. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts are set on the things that we treasure. So you might be asking yourself, where is my heart set? What is it that I treasure? And if there's not something that immediately comes to mind, I would encourage you this week to take an honest, deep look within and ask yourself, what are the things that I think about, that I'm working towards, that I'm putting my time and my resources into, that I'm dreaming about, that I'm hoping for? Where is my vision set? What am I all about? Is it the things of earth or is it the things of heaven? Now, let me be clear as we talk about these earthly treasures, the things of this earth, most of them are not inherently bad things. God gives us possessions and resources to be used for his glory. He entrusts those to us to be good stewards of them. He takes care of us. He provides for our needs. He gives us everything that we need. And you've probably heard people talk about how, as Americans, we're rich. And even if you don't feel rich in comparison to the rest of the world, you're rich. So we have all these resources, we're rich. What do we do with that? We've probably heard that before, and that's not what we're talking about today. But while there's not necessarily anything wrong with being rich, it does have the potential to go very wrong. Whether a lot or a little, we all have resources and talents and people and things that have been entrusted to us that God has entrusted to us to be good stewards of, to use those things for his glory, to use those things for not the dot but the line, the things of heaven. And I would encourage you this week to check out Matthew chapter 25. Jesus tells a story, the parable of the talents, that talks a lot more about stewardship and using the things that God has given us for his glory. But we ask ourselves that question, am I storing up treasures on earth or am I storing up treasures in heaven? Or am I even using the treasures of earth that God has entrusted to me in order to store up treasure in heaven? And so we come back to our story with this rich young man and how he walks away sad. Jesus has this conversation with his disciples as they just experience this, this conversation that just take place. And so we continue our story in verse 23 of Matthew 19. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with mankind this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. The disciples just watched this interaction with Jesus and this rich young man. And I imagine they're standing there just dumbfounded that this, Jesus just let this man go with the potential that he had to make a difference for the kingdom. And then based on their response, I, they might even be sitting here questioning their own salvation or their standing before God. Jesus, who can be saved? This man seemed like he had it all. Who can be saved? And Jesus says, with mankind this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Well, what does that mean? This young man was so caught up in the things that he could do to get eternal life. Jesus, what must I do? What can I do? I want to do good things. I want to do the right things. I want to obey the commands. He was set up to fail. He was never going to get there. He could never do enough. He could never be perfect enough. None of us can. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. But with God, all things are possible. Jesus has made a way so that we don't have to worry about having to do it all. We don't have to do all the right things and be a perfect person because we can't. But Jesus has done that for us. This man was just so caught up in what he could do, his heart was not in the right place as he sought to follow Jesus. He was not willing to let go of those things. He was unwilling to give up for Jesus. I mean, it's really a sad story when you compare it to other stories of Jesus calling people to follow him. It's so sad. I mean, the potential this man had and that it's just wasted because he's unwilling to follow after Jesus. Salvation does not come from ourselves. It comes from God. It does not matter how hard we try, we cannot earn our way into heaven. Only through Jesus is that possible. And as Jesus addressed with Peter there, Eternal reward. Peter says, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. We've left it all. Jesus says, guess what? You guys, there's, there's eternal reward for you. Verse 29, he says, for everyone, this includes us, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. In other words, eternal reward we gain far more in eternity than we've given up here in this earth. And beyond that, we inherit eternal life. What is eternal life? Well, it's not just about living forever as Jesus defines it for us in John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life isn't just about living forever. Eternal life is about knowing Jesus and being in a personal relationship with him. That's eternal life. And we just get to experience that for eternity. How amazing is that? 
And so sure, we gain heavenly treasure, heavenly reward in heaven, but what greater gift, what greater treasure is there than Jesus, than knowing him, than being in relationship with him? That's what it's all about, getting to be in his presence. He told a lot of different parables during the course of his ministry. Parables were just stories that kind of made a point to teach. Maybe it was an allegory of some sort. Perhaps one of the most powerful is also the shortest parable. It's one whole verse. Matthew 13, 44, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. There's that treasure again. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. That's it. That's the end of the story. That's the whole parable. Imagine you find yourself wandering through a field. Maybe it's the fields out here behind the church, and you come across a treasure. You come across something of incredible worth, more than you could possibly imagine. What would you do with that? You don't own it. You can't take that. This man here was willing to give up everything he had in order to secure what was better, in order to secure what was far more valuable. He saw the treasure. Do we see the treasure that is Jesus? Do we see the the worth and the value that he has? I mean, wouldn't we be willing to give up everything in order to secure that treasure, to do whatever it would take? So what is it for you? What's standing in the way? What earthly treasure are you too focused on storing up that you could be instead using to store up treasure in heaven? Even investing in other people and helping them to know Jesus, to know that they can be good stewards, that they can gain eternal treasure as well. So a few months ago, I received a newsletter in the mail, and that's not unusual uh, I have had a lot of friends and connections over the years going to various ministries and organizations and missionaries that they work with. And so over the course of a month, I probably get several dozen different newsletters in my email inbox or in the mail. And uh, this particular one was from a ministry called Jesus Film. You may or may not have heard of it before. Jesus Film's been around for a number of years. And Jesus Film, their whole purpose, uh, a number of years ago, they basically made a movie. It's, it's called Jesus. It's the Jesus Film, taken straight from the Gospel of Luke. And then over the years, they have translated that into language after language after language. Now over 2,000 languages they have translated that film into. And they bring the film, they, they come into villages, and they invite people there, and they set up screens, and they show this movie, and people get to watch Jesus, the story of Jesus, hear the gospel in their own language, most of them for the very first time ever. And there's an opportunity for them to, to come to know Jesus, which is really cool. Sometimes they have video tablets they'll leave behind as well that they get to, to share and pass around and people get to watch and hear about Jesus. So normally when I get a Jesus film newsletter, I throw it away. <laughs> I, I really do my best to read most of the newsletters that I get, but it's not anybody I know personally. A lot of times they're just asking for financial support and I just usually throw it away. But this particular one I happen to read and I'm so glad that I did. And so I wanted to share part of this with you this morning. Bear with me, it's a little bit long, but this is, this is an amazing story. Dear friend in Christ, something extraordinary has happened. In one of the most dangerous places on earth, a miracle of evangelism has taken place, opening a door for the gospel that defies earthly logic. There's a large nation in Africa, heavily populated, ravaged by terrorists and radical fighters who follow an aggressive religion from the north. There's a woman here whom I will call Carla. As a radical herself, she was determined to become a suicide bomber. Like many, she hated Christians, and she threatened to pour boiling water on them. Soon, it was to be Carla's turn 
to earn the favor of her God by murdering all who were not radical enough. She was poised to carry out that suicide bombing, to kill many innocent people in a local marketplace. But shortly before she could do the deed, Carla fell sick. During the night, she experienced a profound and very real dream. A man in dazzling white stood before her. His face shone as brilliantly as the sun, but she could not see past the intense light. However, she did hear his voice. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Follow me. You will preach the gospel. Carla awoke greatly shaken, but healed from her sickness. Somehow she knew it was Jesus who had appeared to her. She went to a Christian woman she knew and recounted that dream. That woman explained the gospel and Carla prayed to receive Christ. How amazing is that? She was transformed by the power of God from death unto life, made a new creation in Christ. And then a few days later, Jesus appeared in a second dream. Carla, go and share this good news with the regional commander. She knew about that commander. He was ruthless and led the most notorious radical group in the region responsible for the death of thousands. When she told her family about the mission Jesus had given her, they said she was crazy and would certainly die. Carla confidently responded, I was ready to die for a false religion, so I am happy and prepared to die for Jesus. But how was she to reach that commander? For he was heavily shielded by several layers of security and checkpoints, guards ready to kill anyone who came near. She had no idea how to get past all that security. And that's when Carla just happens to run into a man at the market who was connected to the radical group. She asked him to take her to the headquarters of this notorious terrorist leader. And with great hesitation, he agreed. The two got on his motorcycle not knowing what would happen. They went through one checkpoint after another, each time passing by heavily armed guards who somehow let them pass. When she would explain her mission, she was met with mocking. You will never make it. You will be killed. Undeterred, after a 10-hour journey, they approached the fourth and final checkpoint. The man who had been her ride refused to go any further, fearing for his own life. And now she was on her own, approaching the radical guards. Again, somehow she made it through alive. She arrived at his headquarters, prepared to die. Strangely, though, he granted her an audience. Carla walked into his office and began to explain the gospel, saying that Jesus had sent her. Jesus wants you to know that he is the way and the truth and the life, she told him. Rather than kill her, the commander sat down at a desk and began to weep. Three days ago, Jesus appeared to me in a dream. He told me that I was on a path of destruction. I must change my ways. If I don't, I will be destroyed. Then he told me that a woman was going to come and to tell me about the gospel. Carla was stunned and explained as best as she could that Jesus was the true and living God, that he gave his life and was raised from the dead to give all who would believe forgiveness and eternal life. The commander believed and Carla led him to the Lord. How amazing is that? But that's not where it finishes. He then gave orders for all his officers to come to the camp. In fact, three truckloads. When they arrived, he told them the truth, that Jesus was the true and living God. They coordinated with Jesus' film staff. 
to bring video tablets to show the Jesus film. And here's what's truly amazing. Since that radical commander called in his lieutenants, and once the video tablets were delivered, every night radical fighters have been watching Jesus on the tablets. Daily, new fighters have been coming to the camp from Yemen, Sudan, Iran, Turkey, to be trained in the fight to join in the cause. Instead, they're watching Jesus. Endorsed by that once radical commander who declares that he has found the truth and renounced violence. At last count, nearly 1,000 people have given their lives to Christ and laid down their arms in the area of his command. They have turned from spiritual darkness to his marvelous light. It is truly a miracle, and all I have shared is from firsthand reports from eyewitnesses and staff who have watched this miracle unfold. But the best part is that under the influence of that respected commander, the doors have swung wide open to sharing the gospel with tens of thousands more in this dangerous area. The staff leaders are saying there is a movement of evangelism unfolding that is, in their words, beyond belief, skyrocketing opportunities. So many former terrorists have been made new that they are wanting to share the gospel with everyone. They are not asking for money. They are offering themselves to carry the good news to others. How amazing is that? Talk about vision. Talk about eternal perspective. For this woman, Carla, to, to simply lay it all aside, to follow Jesus, even to the point of death. She was willing to die for a false god, why not for the real one? And the way that God used her obedience to follow him, her obedience to go, her obedience to share the gospel. Think about how differently that story could have been. We wouldn't be reading this story if Carla had that dream and was like, nope, I'm good. What if she carried out that that bombing and now a lot of innocent people are dead? And then you think about her and this commander and over a thousand people more, probably more now, who wouldn't have come to know Jesus because of her obedience, because of her willingness to lay it all aside, to focus on what truly lasted, what truly mattered, to see the treasure that Jesus is, and to be willing to take that and to share that with others. I love that story. It's incredible. We all have treasure. It's just a matter of what. And the best part is that we've been given the treasure map to finding the treasure that is Jesus. What's really cool about that is that X marks the spot. You gotta tilt your head a little bit, but it's there. X marks the spot. The cross changes everything. Because of Jesus, because of the perfect sinless life that he lived, because of the death that he died on that cross in our place, because of his resurrection to conquer sin and death, We get to experience eternal life, eternal relationship with Jesus, being in his presence and knowing him. Jesus is the treasure. Eternity with him is the reward. How far would you go for Jesus? Are you willing to give up control of everything, to surrender that to him in order to secure that most precious and valuable of treasures? We give up what's standing in the way and we follow after him in obedience. It's it's a walk of faith. It's trusting in him for one step at a time. It's trusting that Jesus is going to to lead us, to guide us. It's trusting for the things that that are beyond what we can see. 
We live with that eternal perspective, making decisions in light of eternity, focusing on the things of eternity rather than the temporary things of this earth. That's what it's all about. And I love how Paul says this in his letter to the Corinthians. We live by faith, not by sight. It's all about faith. It's all about looking beyond what we can see. And so as we journey towards Good Friday and Easter, towards the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we see the eternal perspective that Jesus had. He went through with it. He knew what his death and his resurrection would bring about for us. He knew the life that it would bring. And to him, it was worth it. Is it worth it to us, whatever we are called to give up, to surrender in order to follow after Jesus? We do not have to do good things. We don't have to follow all the rules and be perfect because we can't, we will fail. And it's a good thing we don't have to. Jesus didn't leave us there. We have the way, the truth, and the life through him. We can know him and be in a relationship with him and have the best treasure, not only now in this life, but for eternity to come. It's all because of him. With mankind, all things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Join me in prayer. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving us, for inviting us to follow after you. Jesus, I pray for each person here today that that would be a decision that we would make Lord, if there's anybody here today who has not made that decision to follow you, pray that today would be the day. That, Jesus, we would see you as that treasure. That we would recognize that we are sinners, that we fall short of your glory, that we cannot do it on our own. We cannot do all the right things in order to earn our salvation. But Jesus, you came, you lived that perfect life that we were meant to live. You died on that cross in our place, taking the penalty for our sins. You rose from the grave to conquer sin and death. Jesus, I believe that. Help me to take that step of faith towards you. Help me to trust you to live with that eternal perspective to see the things that truly last, that truly matter. Jesus, for anybody here today who's, who's got something standing in the way, an earthly treasure they're clinging to too strongly, I pray that you would help us to let go, to surrender control of those things to you. Jesus, help us to focus on those things of heaven, those heavenly treasures, those things that last, that matter, whether it's helping us to, to better live out your character or helping us to, to know who to invest in and, and how to invest in those people, how to show your love and your care and your grace to them. Lord, we all have room to grow. I pray that you would open our eyes to see this world the way that you see it. Give us the vision to see what truly lasts, to see what truly matters as we treasure the things of you. Jesus, you are that treasure. So be with us as we go from this place today. Help us to boldly, unashamedly follow after you.
no matter what it demands of us, no matter the cost, knowing that you are the treasure, that you are worth far, far more. Jesus, help us to share this treasure that we have with others around us. It's in your wonderful, powerful, amazing, precious name we pray. Amen.